You're listening to Casual Talk Radio, where common sense is still the norm. Whether you're a new or a longtime listener, we appreciate you joining us today. Visit us at casualtalkradio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Thank you once again there, Bailey. I'm Leister, your host here at casualtalkradio.net. I want to welcome you back or welcome you if you're new. I decided I wanted to help people wrap their head around what we just went through as a country in the United States. If you're not in the United States, it's a good learning lesson of the stupidity that we are forced to deal with. Pretty much, I want to say every year at this point, it continually happens. It's it's a constant thing. And it has long-spanning history that I want to talk about because I think it's important. I'm sure that the education system doesn't teach these things, but I think it's important. What I refer to, of course, is the near shutdown chaos that happened where we were on verge of shutting down the government and by virtue of shutting down the government, shutting down non-essential services, which of course would have affected many, many millions of Americans, not just from a, your jobs or, you know, things that you, you are entitled to, but also services that you consume the airports, the parks, libraries, you name it. There's all sorts of downstream impacts of what almost happened. And I want to be clear, we're not out of the woods. What was passed was a 45-day, it's called a continuing resolution, signed by the president, Biden signed it. What it essentially says is you got 45 days to figure this out. So it could happen again, and it's probably going to happen again. Just to quicken this up a little, the main holdup of this business around Ukraine, there are people in Congress who do not support funding Ukraine any further because there's been billions and billions of dollars sent overseas to Ukraine to fund a war that does not directly affect us. Now, there are impacts to the war from a sentiment perspective from oil and other commodities. There's all sorts of downstream impacts of the war that do affect us. That, that is true, but we're not directly involved in the war. There's a long story behind that I won't bore you with for the purposes of this episode. Rather, I wanted to take some of you back in time and talk about where this started, the thought process behind this business. First of all, let's talk about why it's a thing. This is a thing covered under what's referred to as shortened term, the Budget Act. The Budget Act has been around for decades. Its intent is going to surprise you, but here's where it started way back. So you're talking, I'm going to say, you know, Nixon era time. The problem is that there were significant budget deficits all over the place, significant levels of inflation. Now, if this sounds familiar, follow me. A lot of this was happening. People, families were having a hard time making ends meet. And Congress at the time, was spending, 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 spending like uncontrolled amounts of money. So then the president at the time, who happened to be Nixon, starts saying, you got to corral the spending because it's getting out of control here. And if you go over the spending, I'm going to start vetoing some of these bills that you're putting out. So this is during the era where pretty much everybody was just willy-nilly, open pocketbook, spending like crazy. At the time, as president, his job was to corral excess spending. In addition to being 
in charge of our military. His job was to corral excess spending, kind of rein it in and kind of that last stop to make sure things weren't going crazy with the spending bills. And so he had the power to do what's referred to as impound funds, which is Congress would say, we want to spend $10 million. As president, he had the right to essentially refuse to spend it. So it's not that the money wasn't allocated. The money was allocated, written in. He would just refuse to spend it. He would refuse to authorize it spend, or he'd refuse to assign it to who was going to spend that money. This is not Nixon's direct fault. He, this is something that he knew he could do because past presidents had been doing this and had been the case stemming all the way back almost to the founding of the country. The president at the time, their job was to rein in not only corruption, but waste. Their job was to make sure that the purse was not getting out of control, opened for every handout. That was the, that was the job. That was the goal. But in the olden days, we were talking smaller amounts. We weren't talking about large, large, major amounts. We were talking smaller amounts. So, you know, maybe it's a couple hundred thousand dollars here or something else. And under the president's thought process, these may be wasteful or may not be relevant or may not be advantageous to the American public. And so he would basically cut those off. I'm talking prior to Nixon. Well, Nixon realized, like I said, that he had the authority to do it. And so what he did is he just started impounding bills that came across his desk all the way up to the billions of dollars level. But we started seeing a pattern. We started seeing that he was actually blocking projects simply because he didn't like them. So this is kind of an informal veto. Something would get appropriated. Funds would get appropriated for something that he didn't approve of. And he would block access to that money for whatever it was. So they weren't able to move forward even though this violated the whole edict of the veto process and the overriding of the veto. His own people basically told Congress, they went to Congress and said, the, the Constitution lets the president determine whether to spend money. The Constitution says he has the right to spend it. You have the right to authorize it. He has the authority to say he will or will not spend it. So then... Lawmakers get together and they start thinking about how can we fix this because this isn't what we intended. This isn't what we planned. We planned not to have blocks on the spending of money, but just a better control on the access to the funds. But we still want to make sure that we're not blocking the progress for things to get done. So what they said is, well, what we need to do is rein in the authority of the president to block spending of funds. Here comes the so-called Congressional Budget and Impoundment Control Act to try to block the president's ability to just not spend money. Basically, it almost turned him into a figurehead. If we appropriate the funds, it will get allocated unless it's one of these like continuing resolution type situation. So then people in the current modern started reflecting back and saying, was this the right answer? Was this the right solution? Or did we create a bigger problem? The thought sounded good, right? That the president's got too much damn power to be blocking progress for things that we, we as in Congress are approving. We don't like this abuse of power. We want to take that singular abuse of power away and return power to Congress to allow them, if they approve 
the use of funding, it goes forward. Your job is to basically sign it and move on if it's part of the budgetary process because without the budgetary funding going forward, nothing gets done. Everything grinds to a halt, which does not serve the American people. If this sounds oddly familiar to the current state, it should because what we're dealing with now is a situation where nothing really gets done because we fight the budget appropriations process every single time. And this is because the people inside Congress have their own interests similar to what we had before where the president had their own interests. I said once before, they're all corrupt at some different levels. And what you're voting for is people who support what you support, but they're all corrupt at different levels. Now, what happens? They build this committee. They hold hearings. They get testimony. They, they get all sorts of opinions and they create this whole budgetary scheme. They pass the law. There's very little pushback. Nixon, who is the last to benefit from prior to the bill, he's stuck in Watergate at the time. And so all eyes are on him. All, all spotlights are on him. So he doesn't have a choice. They basically coerced him. Uh, essentially, that's what happened because of Watergate and the fact it's like, dude, you got a gun against your head. He has to sign the legislation into law. Now, what happens with this new process? The process is that we have to now run through the congressional process. And the net effect of it is that now funding and the approval of things slows to a halt. We started getting these combined, aka omnibus type bills, where they just put a bunch of pork in for things that are irrelevant to the budgetary process. But they're this, this wish list item things that come in. At the time, Nixon actually called that out and said, look what you just did. What you just did is worse than what we had before, all because you're against me. What you have now is even worse, and it's going to be the death you got. Not literally didn't say this, but I'm saying it's going to be the death of you guys if you push this forward and you don't reverse this. Now, if you think about the thought process behind this, the thought process behind this was we don't want the president to be able to blockade access to funds going to where they are appropriated. And it is true that no longer can a president blockade the allocation of funds president can refuse to sign the total bill, but it, it's a formal process and it can be overridden according to the statutes of the law. It actually says executives basically can be limited. We can constrain when you do and don't spend funds. And it created more officials, of course, more waste, more officials around the process. Now, the downside in their quest to try to corral the president, they allowed Congress to run roughshod. Because remember, the whole intention of this before Nixon, I'm not talking Nixon, I'm talking before Nixon, was to make sure that we were spending on the right things in support of what the American people would benefit from and not just willy-nilly things. When Nixon came in, he basically perverted it into not only this, but also to blockade things he didn't like. Nobody agreed that Nixon's approach was the right approach, but we took the too far extreme in trying to solve it instead of what we should have done, which is to say, if you're going to block access to funds, 
It cannot be simply because you don't personally like it. There's got to be a justified reason. We have to talk it out. There has to be a forum and we have to all agree that it's worth not going forward because of the justification behind it. What that would have done is it would have nullified his justifications for why he was blocking certain funding things. Rather, we basically said, block it all. President can't do Jack. He's just a figurehead. You just signed the freaking paper and has no power and now has no power to intervene. The president has to sit up in the office while Congress argues within themselves. Since this has been put in place, Congress has run a deficit 36 times minimum. I believe we're up to about 38, 39, but 36 times minimum. We've tripled the national debt. They've not been able to pass things on time on a consistent basis. We're not able to run a surplus. There's always this banter about things that do not serve the American people. There's been a time for acceptance of resolution only, I think it was six, maybe seven times. We're late on average a month or more. We almost never pass the appropriations by the deadline. Sometimes we don't pass any at all. And instead, what they do is, like I said, they create these omnibus bills and cram it all in there. And as was the case very recently, it ends up being 70 pages deep sent to people for review at the late hour. So there's not enough time to review it to understand what pork might be crammed in there. So what do we do about it? There's not really anything we can do. This is ingrained in the very fabric of the legal system, the the laws of our country. We have done it because of a corrupt president at the time. And we're afraid to go back and revisit what it was, revisit why we did it and understand you don't need to do an arbitrary total blockade of the ability to do what they were doing. You need to put guardrails around when they do it and a strong justification process around why they do it. You should not have certain members of Congress supporting bills that are not advantageous to the American people. Number one should be, how does this benefit the American people? If you can't answer that question with an answer that everybody agrees with, that bill doesn't go. It's lowest priority. American people should be first. Remember, during COVID, they were giving away the quote stimmies that weren't going to go anywhere because the the medium rent in most places is already $1,500. So a $1,400 check wasn't going to do anything especially if you're on the lower end of the poverty scale. They did it because there are certain people out there who were on the lower class. And for them, any money was already going to be sky high. Well, the vast majority of them may have just burned the money on lottery tickets or cigarettes or weed or alcohol or porn because that's they're on the lower end of the scale. That's where they mostly spend their money, statistically speaking. That stimmy, quote unquote, wasn't going to do anything. Meanwhile, pumping billions of dollars over to Ukraine, money that could have been used to help people during COVID. And during the Trump administration, they made aid available for businesses. However, they did not make it easy access for individuals, the unemployments, where they were trying to extend unemployment to where you didn't have to do the job search, you didn't have to do these things. Certain states like Nevada put significant red tape and hoops in front of it to where you couldn't get the money. And then after all the money was exhausted, they said, okay, we're open now. You can come on and apply. You're, you're probably approved. You just have to make sure you show job search. 
because they knew they didn't want to give you that money. They put the red tape to make sure you didn't get the money. It went back and forth and back and forth. It was a joke. They could have done all they needed to do to ensure easier access to that money. They could have done more to ensure easier access to businesses. I mentioned that for my other my side endeavor, I was entitled to a six figures minimum because of the nature of the business and what I was doing and everything else. I didn't get the extra money that I was entitled to because when Biden came into office, they added more red tape, blockading the ability to get access to that money. Instead, they sent billions and billions of dollars over to Ukraine, no conditions in front of it. So what the Republicans now have been trying to do is get rid, because this is what was the big holdup, they were trying to get rid of the Ukraine aid with this. They were trying to get it to where we're not sending more money to Ukraine. And what McCarthy had negotiated before was a situation where there was going to be an increase in fees and all this stuff that everybody celebrated. And I remember saying, this isn't going to do anything because you're still going to have that deadlock situation. Meanwhile, the Democrats on the other side, they're cheering. Do you know why they're cheering? They're cheering because once again, they're able to kick the ball down the road. And everybody has been increasingly saying, maybe we do need to shut down to teach people and get rid of the pork and get rid of the waste. What McCarthy negotiated before wasn't going to go far enough to avoid what happened. We were going to be right back in that situation. Now Matt Getz put out a resolution to try to get him out of office. All of this is, if you think of it, it's political theater because they're doing it and they're playing chicken with your money and your livelihood and everything else because now we have this Ponzi scheme system where everything's dependent on the government continually running. And if it stops, everybody else is affected. They certainly aren't going to continue paying you if they're not getting a check on the federal funds. Well, they shouldn't be dependent on the federal funds in the first place, but they are. So in summary, this is a long time. It's a long time. It's not, this is not something that's new. This is not something that's recent. It's a long time. This is, this is what it is. It's going to continue being it. It's going to continue being a thing. Now, here's where there's some light at the end of the tunnel. We're still not at the end because there's one branch of the, of the whole government you forgot. Back in the 90s, everybody tried to undo some of the damage of this business. This is in the, I believe this is around Clinton's era. They tried to undo some of the damage. They tried to basically say, okay, the president can at least veto individual items in a bill. You know, they can say that this item of this expense is not acceptable and I'm going to get rid of it. Supreme Court said no. Supreme Court said no, primarily because the Supreme Court has believed ultimately that what was happening in the, the locking down of singular authority was appropriate, that we should not have one branch of the government able to make unilateral decisions this way. That Supreme Court was a different Supreme Court. And I think there's going to come a time, who knows when, but there's going to come a time when the more evolved Supreme Court will be asked to take a look at it again. And there may be some pullback of some of this because of how frequently we miss the ball on the appropriations. We may get to a point where we say, you know what, maybe we can hit a middle ground. I think they're going to wait for Congress to present something a lot more solid that still reigns in that singular authority. 
but is a little bit more measured in what it's doing. It's not about a veto, not about refusal. It's what I said, which is if you're going to do it, you have to have justification why you're doing it. You have to have reason why you're doing it. It has to be a joint agreement between the, the executive branch and the legislative, et cetera. I think it just needs to be on the same page. We got to talk about these things and make sure that this makes sense of what we're doing instead of just whatever this branch can do whatever, because what we got right now with Congress is no better than what we had before. I know it seems like it was improved. It's not, it's worse because they all have their own interests at heart and they're not going to be on the same page. Even when you have all the Democrat or all Republican, they still can't get much stuff done. So I don't know when something will change may not happen in the lifetimes of people listening to the show in our age ranges may not. But I think at some point, somebody's going to look at it and say, this is stupid. We need, we need to get a little bit more studious about how we handle budget appropriations because we can't keep getting near shutting down the government each and every time like we've done in the past historically for over 40 years now.